Buzzard writes in, how could you ignore the fact that the Lions were robbed by the referees on yesterday's show? Let me explain something to you, Buzzards. I didn't know. I didn't know about the controversy. I had no idea that the Lions should have had the ball on the one-yard line after Cam Chancellor punched the ball out of Calvin Johnson's arms and then a Seattle defender intentionally batted the ball out of the back of the end zone. I didn't know that was a rule. I didn't know that was illegal. The moment that play ended, I shut the television off and I went to bed. And that was it. Went to bed, slept soundly, got a full eight hours. At the moment that I was no longer in need of sleep, my eyes opened and I stepped out of bed. I dropped my daughter off at private school. I went to the country club for breakfast. I decided, how does my body feel? Do I feel like golf or tennis today? Played golf after golf, went to a French bakery for an espresso. Stopped at Vineyard Vines. That's my lifestyle. You know my lifestyle. Do you think I have time to watch Sports Center? Do you think I watch First Take? Do you think I ever listened or follow Skip Bayless? No. Do you think I listen to Mad Dog Radio? No. I wake up. Whenever my body's ready to wake up, feeling refreshed, step in front of a microphone and do a show in a bubble. I live in... This very white bubble, right? Like One of the whitest bubbles, one of the whitest people you could imagine. Living in Fairfield, Connecticut. Yes. I wear Sperry's to work. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. But that's my lifestyle. So living in this bubble, if there are controversies going on, Outside of the game I just watched, I will never know about it. I will happily go onto the airwaves oblivious to all these things that are going on. What's going on in the world news? I have no idea. What's going on in the sports world? I actually have no idea. I watch football games. That's it. The sole reason there is a television in my house is to watch football games, and that is it. Rarely turn it on otherwise. There is a television show I like, The Americans. I like that television show. I like shows that are set in a certain period in the past, the period piece shows. So I liked Boardwalk Empire. I liked Mad Men. I liked The Americans. These were spies in the early 80s. Reagan administration came in, cracked down on KGB spies on U.S. soil. This couple is the best of the best, KGB spies. It's a great show. Love it. That's a show I will watch on Amazon Prime, because of course I have Amazon Prime. Who doesn't have Amazon Prime? Come on. But no, I'm not inundated with the news of the day in order to comment on it. So yes, I'm going to be oblivious. You know my lifestyle. You know the white bubble I live in. So of course, I did not know about that blown call by the referees. But man, when I found out about it, I found out about it through the buzzards. It's funny. I get news from you. When you contact the show at Roto Underworld or email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. You're the ones that provide me with the news. You all send me links to articles. You all send me buzzard messages like the one I read at the beginning of the show. That's how I get some of my news is from the buzzards. You all are great at telling me what's important. And when I thought about the, this idea that not only did Calvin Johnson have a touchdown robbed at the last possible millisecond, that ripped a victory away from the Lions. The Detroit Lions are used to that kind of thing. It was compounded by the fact that they were then also robbed by the referees. 
<laughs> that made the outcome of that game even more Lions. Just when you thought that outcome couldn't be more Lions, it became yet more Lions. Amazing. And so I've also been late to this daily fantasy controversy that is now ubiquitous in the football Twitter conversation sphere. I was late to the party. I was probably the last person because I live in this white bubble. I was the last person to fully consume this latest DFS scandal. And, and one of the reasons I was alerted to this scandal was received a buzzard message. Said the following. Are you in bed with DraftKings and FanDuel like all the other experts? Or are you going to speak your mind, Mansion? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm not in bed with DraftKings and FanDuel. Do you realize how little money we generate from the affiliate sponsors on the playerprofiler.com website from FanDuel and DraftKings? It is an embarrassingly small number. I could care less if those affiliate sponsor links exist or not. They're unintrusive. They don't negatively impact my user experience. Therefore, they stay. That's the only reason they stay. They do not generate a lot of revenue. And therefore, I have no conflicts of interests as it relates to this scandal. And the dynamics around the story are fascinating. They are. Ben Cohen in the Wall Street Journal summarized the advantage that the employees from DraftKings gained on FanDuel. So to summarize, the employees from DraftKings looked at ownership trend data that DraftKings made available to its employees, used that data to then set GPP tournament lineups on FanDuel. Not a big deal, right? Well, in the article, Ben Cohen summarized the advantage by saying the following. Here is the geeky secret about the NCAA tournament office pools. Winning is as much about game theory as it is about the actual games. It isn't enough to just know basketball. What you really need to know is how everyone else will fill out their brackets before you do yours. And that's true. Winning GPPs is a, as much an exercise in game theory as it is an exercise in evaluating the players and the opposing defense and projecting and forecasting their fantasy point output. Knowing who the other players are playing provides an advantage in tournaments. That is a fact. Jonathan Bales has written about it more than anyone else that I know of. He's written extensively about the advantage gained from variance in GPP play. Variance essentially means when the majority are playing Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, you play Adrian Peterson and Julio Jones, and you will have an advantage. I will boil it down to that. If you zig while the other players zag, all else being equal, you will have a huge advantage in tournament play. That is true. Knowing who fantasy gamers like is helpful. It's just helpful information when you're playing in these GPP tournaments. Moreover, even more importantly, knowing who the high volume players like, who they're playing, the guys that win most weeks, figuring out who they like, that is even more helpful. But we don't know specifically what data was leveraged by these employees from DraftKings. We have an idea. We have, we know so far what's been disclosed. And so far what's been disclosed is that they weren't looking at the specific rosters of the Sharps. They were just looking at the overarching 
aggregate data. Is that all that they were looking at? Again, we don't know. We just know what's been disclosed so far, but there is now an internal investigation going on by the companies and perhaps more data was being leveraged than we, we currently know about. But that's what we know so far. But most people, most of the insiders, most of the, the sharps in the DFS industry, they don't believe this is a scandal. They don't see this as a real controversy for one specific reason. Because FanDuel ownership percentages, or at least the estimates of FanDuel ownership percentages, are publicly available every Friday via the DFS report. If you go to the DFSreport.com, you will see Thursday game ownership percentages. They publish the ownership percentages of all of the rosters across FanDuel, all the rosters that played a player on Thursday, those rosters get revealed. And the DFS report goes out, spiders all those lineups, and calculates the ownership percentages for all the players that were played across all those lineups, over 100,000 lineups. So it's a huge sample size. So the DFS report, by looking at, which is a large sample, all of the lineups that were submitted that included a player playing on Thursday are published. And so what we get is an estimate of the ownership percentages that is relatively close to the actual ownership percentages. That is available to the public. Those that want to go out and seek that information, it is available. So those that are close to this scandal, those that work at DraftKings or work at FanDuel or work in one of these ancillary businesses, Fantasy Insiders, Roto Grinders, they'll tell you this is a non-story. This isn't a big deal. The information that the DraftKings guys were using is available to everyone. What's the big deal? Beyond that, beyond just the fact, hey, this is not a big deal. Everyone has access to this information. The beauty of this scandal. We're going to talk about various threads of this scandal that I believe are fascinating. But isn't it that the beauty of accessing information, that's something that those with skill do. One of the traits of a skilled DFS player is the ability to go out and seek information that can help you get an edge. And so those that are leveraging sites like DFS Report to gain an advantage on the competition are playing the game the way it was meant to be played by leveraging skills, skills in data collection methods, and then the skill of knowing how to leverage that information to create a better DFS lineup. The players that are using ownership percentages to build DFS rosters are the players with the most skill. And the only reason DFS exists is because it is defined by the government as a game of skill. And yet, the skilled players that are using ownership percentages to help build their rosters are the ones that are playing improperly, that are gaining an unfair advantage. That's what you're hearing in the major media outlets. That's what they're saying. And it's just wrong. It's completely wrong. The fundamental underpinning of the industry is that DFS is a game of skill. The skilled players know about DFSReport.com. Those players leveraging that data is the very manifestation of the reasoning behind Daily Fantasy's legal existence. Think about that. But legality doesn't really matter in this case, does it? No one's talking about that. 
the bottom line is those players, those guys at DraftKings that played on FanDuel, which was perfectly acceptable according to the employee guidelines set forth by these daily fantasy companies. The bottom line is those players exploited an advantage that feels to a lot of people like fraud, but it wasn't actually fraud. But that's enough. That's enough to print a news story. That's enough for a story to then go viral if it feels like fraud. That's all that it needs to happen. That's all that needs to happen. It just needs to feel like fraud. But if you want to dive into the minutia of what DFS report provides, we can for a moment. I think we should. Because I will say this. What DFS report provides, those ownership percentages of the rosters that include players playing on Thursday night, that data isn't quite as helpful as the data that the DraftKings guys had access to. I will, I will say that. I think that is true. Because number one, all the players that played a player in a Thursday night game were not afforded the same advantage that those of us that access the DFSReport.com numbers are afforded or the DraftKings guys are afforded. All the people that played a player that played on Thursday are marks. We know that. No one plays guys on Thursday. Nobody. Because if you play a player on Thursday, you don't have the ability to then, on Friday, figure out the ownership percentages and adjust your lineup accordingly. So those people are marks, but still, they were disadvantaged by the scheme. That is true. Those people were not afforded the same advantage as the DraftKings guys. Also, the DraftKings guys had real-time data leading up to Sunday's games. And that's better than the data on the DFSReport.com ownership percentages for two reasons. The first reason is new information comes to light after Thursday's games. We find out who's active and who's not active. Sometimes teams will announce players are out after the DFS report numbers have been published. Also, those rosters that are made available by DFS report, the Thursday game rosters, or the rosters that include a player that played on Thursday, think it through for a minute. Those rosters that played Le'Veon Bell, which they probably did, if the Steelers and Ravens played on Thursday, and you played a roster that had a player playing on Thursday, there's a good chance you played Le'Veon Bell, right? Well, if you played Le'Veon Bell, then you probably were not playing Jamal Charles that week. So the ownership percentages that are published on Friday do misrepresent the final ownership percentages that you will see in these GPPs once all the lineups lock on Sunday because there will be a disproportionate number of Jamal Charles plays that are not reflected in the data published by DFS report on Friday. Therefore, the data that's available to the public is not quite as helpful. It's not quite a true representation of the ownership percentages. Now, those are minor differences. Those might affect the percentages up or down a point or two, if that. A slight difference on the margins that the DraftKings employee data provided. Maybe, at best, a slight difference on the margins. A slight advantage on the margins. DraftKings data versus DFS report data. But it matters. It matters a little bit. Their scheme gave them a slight advantage over the sharps that had access to or the sharps that knew about DFSReport.com and it gave them an enormous advantage 
over the lesser players, the less sophisticated players, the lesser skilled players who didn't even know about DFSReport.com. And even if they knew about DFSReport.com, they wouldn't know how to leverage the data to better optimize their lineups. But none of that should matter because it's a game of skill. The skilled players will get an advantage in a game of skill. That's the definition of a game of skill! Chess is a game of skill. When I play Garry Kasparov, he will beat me 100 out of 100 times, as he should. If my mom were to go set a lineup on DraftKings, she should get beat by a DraftKings expert, by a Roto Grinder. She should get beat by a DFS Sharp 100 out of 100 times. She won't because there's so much randomness in the NFL, but that's the corollary. The bottom line is, this was not an Enron-type company-wide scandal that we're talking about. This was not some wide-scale fraud initiated at the top by the CEO and the CFO. This scandal is not a big deal. Most major corporations experience scandal. Most major corporations experience a scandal on a larger scale than this one. Rogue employees embezzling funds, misusing company resources. This happens literally every day in corporate America. And I'll say definitively, I don't think what the draft Kings guys did was actually a big deal. But that no longer matters. That's the other fascinating aspect of this story. It isn't a big deal and that doesn't matter. The facts no longer matter. The degree of the impropriety ceases to matter once the major sports media complex sinks its teeth into a story. If Skip Bayless perceives it as a big deal, it becomes a big deal. It's a self-fulfilling phenomenon. And that has to be maddening to the people that work at DraftKings and FanDuel. It's maddening to me as a member of this industry. And what's terrifying for me is that this idea that this could be the tip of the iceberg. This could be that one employee that was stupid enough to publicly flaunt his scheme. Who knows how many employees are also running schemes to get an advantage that never went public with the information, that never disclosed, that were never written about, that never went viral. I don't know. Who knows how many employees are playing on the other sites and using tactics and data that is not publicly available. I, 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 uh, uh, I have no idea. But just thinking it through is terrifying, the possibilities. And I'm surprised that there haven't been more scandals thus far. I really am. Think about it. Think about what we're talking about. This is a billion-dollar industry built on a foundation that is essentially legalized gambling. The definition of gambling, just so you know, and I did a whole show on this topic, is daily fantasy gambling. The show was called The Millionaire Making Machine. So we did a whole show for Roto Underworld Radio in March on this topic. So if you want a primer on this show, if you want more content on this topic, I did 45 minutes on the whole notion of is DFS gambling? And then I examined the industry, looked at the, the social ramifications, the legal foundation of the industry's existence. We won't get into all that. All I will say is, according to Webster, the definition of gambling is waging stakes on an uncertain outcome. That applies to DFS. Therefore, DFS is gambling. 
And so this is a billion dollar legalized gambling enterprise. And a scandal happens? No way! There was a scandal? What? Millions of dollars are given away every week. And there was a scandal involving an employee. No way! Really? Oh, that's surprising. Shocking. The least shocking thing I've ever heard. There will be more scandals where this came from. For two reasons. First reason is... This is a billion-dollar legalized form of gambling. Billions and billions spent on legalized gambling. So, yes, there will be more scandals. Many more. There's a second reason. The sports media industry, the complex that is the sports media universe, now knows that these scandalous stories get traffic. So their antenna are now more finely tuned to pick up on any possible improprieties. It's going to get so much worse. And that's kind of depressing. For people like me who are embedded in this industry, I see what's on the horizon. I see what's coming. It's like I see the little dot, the little headlight of the train coming. And it doesn't feel good. It makes me nauseous thinking about what's coming. As a person who wants this industry to succeed, I do have one recommendation for FanDuel and DraftKings. These companies are going to need to get better PR personnel than Justine Sacco. When I found out that Justine Sacco is one of the people running PR at FanDuel, I was at first surprised and then not surprised. I was, it, my visceral response was, oh, so I'm surprised. Wow, that's, that's amazing. She's in PR still? What? And then, oh, it's FanDuel. I'm not surprised at all. If you want to know who Justine Sacco is, Justine Sacco is an infamous Twitter personality. On a flight to Africa, she tweeted the following while she was working at another company in PR. She was in she is a PR professional. She was a PR professional before the tweet and she continues to be a PR professional at FanDuel now. The tweet she wrote midway through a flight to Africa. She wrote the following. Going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. That tweet went viral. By the time she landed, there were already hashtags, has Justine landed yet? And she was quickly dismissed from the company she worked for. I believe she worked for a dating site. Now she does PR for FanDuel. Bringing people together. But I didn't necessarily agree that Justine Sacco should be shamed in the public square. That always is unsettling to me. Yes, she sent a racist tweet. Okay. But the, the zeal with which the anonymous individuals on social media will attack the person who sends the bad tweet is always unsettling to me. I hate the exercise of the public shaming in the town square, raining down judgment on the offender that said the wrong thing. I mean, the judgment gets rained down on these people that send bad tweets, bad Instagram posts, bad Facebook posts. It gets so bad for these people, they commit suicide. That's just what happens. That's the culture we live in now. There is a whole segment of psychology that is devoted to helping people that are experiencing public shame on social media so they don't commit suicide. It's kind of a problem. And Justine Sacco is sort of the poster child individual for someone who sent a bad tweet and then received a disproportionate amount of vitriol in response. And the fact that she kept going and, and stayed in the industry is pretty amazing. 
after what happened to her. I mean, it was gross, the things that were said to her after that tweet. Just, it was, it was horrifying to me to see the dark side of social media revealed like that. Racist rhetoric on social media is a problem as well. Maybe that's not obvious, but I'll state that flatly. Racist rhetoric on social media is also a problem. But the gleeful public shaming that goes on on social media is also a problem. And I don't think one bad tweet should ever define anyone. Does Who wants to be? Raise your hand in the audience if you want to be defined by your worst public moment. Do you think your worst public moment defines who you are? Does that encapsulate you? Raise your hand if that's true. So yeah, I felt bad for Justine Sacco when I found out what happened to her after this tweet. How could you not? Here's another exercise for the audience. Raise your hand if you've never uttered or laughed at a racist or sexist joke. You with your hand up, put your hand down. You're lying. But public discourse has consequences. Public speech does have consequences. It does. You can't send a tweet like that and continue to be a PR professional. Right? You shouldn't be publicly shamed and experience an avalanche of vitriol and have to delete your account. No, that shouldn't happen to you after a tweet like that. The consequence should probably be, after a tweet like that, Justine Sacco probably, hmm, do some soul searching, do some introspection. Maybe this public relations thing isn't for me after all. That's probably what the consequence should have been. Yeah, you know what? If I'm in PR and I'm going to send a tweet like that, I'm probably not very good at public relations. So maybe I'm going to go out and find another career. I'm going to pivot to another career. That's probably what should have happened. But none of that happened. It's amazing. She received the most vitriol ever directed at an individual on social media other than Donald Trump and Barack Obama. Publicly disgraced. An example of someone who, by the, doing the thing that got them disgraced, revealed themselves as being bad at the career and the profession that they chose. So you would think Justine Sacco would have gone on and done something else, right? Not PR, anything but PR. There are so many industries. There are so many lines of work in America. What did Justine Sacco do after this controversy blew over? She went to FanDuel. FanDuel. It's, that, it's amazing to me. That, that is amazing. You have to... Just take a step back. Think about all the interesting threads that are spawning from this controversy. Fascinating. I had no idea she was at FanDuel, but it's so perfect that she's at FanDuel. FanDuel has been growing so fast, they will literally take anyone. They will take Justine Sacco to do their PR. Think about that. That's amazing. Oh, uh, hi, FanDuel human resources representative. I'm here to apply for your job. I would like to work for you. Uh, thank you for coming in. Uh, we do uh, have a, a need to hire uh, thousands of employees to sustain our growth. Do you happen to have a resume, sir? No, 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 don't have a resume. Nope, sorry. Just want a job at FanDuel. Okay, you don't have a resume. That sounds fine. Um, do you have a pulse? Uh, let me ch Hold on now, let me check. Yep, I have a pulse. Great, you're hired, sir. Your desk is over there. Welcome to FanDuel. Here's a hoodie. Right? Right? But back to the scandal. Even if this scandal is just smoke with no fire, that doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't. 
The industry has a public perception problem. Perception has become reality. Even if in reality, the guys at FanDuel, the guys at DraftKings actually, so these are DraftKings guys, getting confused between the two platforms. Who hasn't done that before? Confuse those two platforms. <laughs> the guys at DraftKings, what they did, again, I think we outlined it pretty well. Not really a big deal, was it? But here's the problem. Here's the fundamental problem. What DraftKings and FanDuel do is they provide a social vice that is unregulated. That's at the core of the problem here. Daily fantasy is gambling. In our culture, gambling is perceived as a vice. Less so now than it used to be, thankfully. But still, it is widely prohibited at the local, state, and federal level. And when it's not prohibited, it's at least regulated. Except daily fantasy sports. There is nothing written in the law that says, in quotes, daily fantasy sports is a legitimate industry and it must follow the following protocols and procedures. There's nothing like that on the books right now. And that's a problem. FanDuel and DraftKings exist in this nebulous wink and nod space. But that space is precarious. These houses, these two companies have been built on sand so far. They would like to have a foundation company go in and build a strong foundation, but that hasn't happened yet. It's just not ideal for your business or for your investors to exist in this nebulous space. It clouds the business with uncertainty. I mean, this is the only example that I can think of where you have an industry that is actively craving regulation in order to justify its existence and solidify its place in the economy. It's amazing to me. That's another fascinating aspect of the story. Please, federal government, please regulate me. Please control me. Please tell me how to behave. Please tell me how to control my employees. You never see this. When do you see companies in an industry essentially needing regulation to help their business? Why would DraftKings and FanDuel want to be regulated? Why should they want to be regulated? because it offers legitimacy. This scandal will likely induce a federal inquiry after the internal investigation is over. And if it does, it will become the DFS industry's seminal moment. We are at a turning point right now, I believe. And I think that in this turning point, in this seminal moment, DraftKings and FanDuel are actively praying for regulation because the alternative to regulation is abolishment. One sentence in one bill written in Washington, and the industry ceases to exist. That is a known problem that the companies themselves, their investors, everyone close to this industry recognizes. And regulation means legitimacy. Your industry gets recognized by the Department of Commerce and all the ancillary agencies in the federal space. You want that if you're the daily fantasy sports industry, because any regulation, any bill passed that has your name in quotes gives you explicit permission to exist. And that gives your business and your entire industry long-term certainty of viability. And long-term certainty of viability is more valuable than any of the losses and the inefficiencies that would result from any level of government regulation, whether strict or Laissez-faire, it doesn't matter. The daily fantasy sports industry wants to be regulated, needs to be regulated. And that's what this scandal has taught us.